It's Paul Roos here from Performance by Design and welcome to the Culture Couch. My partner in crime, Jared Murphy. G'day, Murph. G'day, Roosie. How are you? And the gentleman to your right, very exciting. Every Culture Couch yep. is good, but I'm this really looking forward to this one. This is big. This is this big. Is big. <laughs> before we introduce oh, uh, my man, Andrew Gaze, <laughs> let's go through his resume, which is reasonably impressive, oh. I might add. 22 seasons in the NBL with the Melbourne Tigers. MVP seven times, scoring title 14 times. Some might say because he never passed the ball, but we'll touch on that. <laughs> uh, two NBL championships, all NBL first team 15 years in a row. And of course, the national team, five Olympics. I think there's only three or four other people who have done that in basketball. Oscar Schmidt from memory was one. Yeah, of he's one. There might be a couple. A couple uh, more, yep. Not for me. And a flag bearer, which was must, we'll, again, we'll touch yeah. on that as well. FIBA Hall of Fame, and named as one of the top 50 basketballs of all time by FIBA, which is pretty impressive. Went to college at Seton Hall, and I really want to explore that because most Australians don't know how big college basketball is, and made the final game, mm. which was incredible, incredible performance. San Antonio Spurs for the championship, which was great, and Gazy and I connected that year, which was even better, and then went on <laughs> to the coaching career with the Seabull, first of all, and then with the Sydney Kings. So, mate, welcome to the Culture Couch. The, one of the things I want to touch on before we get into the leadership and culture, because one of the things Murph and I get often asked about, how do you form habits? Mm. And probably people don't really understand a lot about the 10,000 hours. There's a, there's a theory around that. There's a great book called Bounce. Yep. But you were a, a living, breathing example of that. So tell us a bit about your background growing up at the Albert Park Basketball Stadium, which yeah. is quite amazing. Yeah, I had a privileged uh, upbringing as far as sport is concerned because uh, my dad was the general manager of what then was called the Victorian Amateur Basketball Association. And uh, back in the late 50s, there was these three old army warehouse storage facilities that were converted into sport. And uh, we, one of them was basketball. Right next to the basketball stadium was badminton. And then there was ta table tennis. And uh, in their conversion... They, uh, basketball in their wisdom, they built a little manager's residence. And my dad, his primary responsibility was trying to expand the game and, and run this facility. So from the time I was born to the time I was about 13 or 14, I had a nine court basketball stadium mm. as my backyard and, and combined that with the guidance that my dad was able to provide me uh, being a three-time Olympian as a player and four-time Olympic coach, uh, and it gave me a profound advantage uh, over my peers. And when you're talking about uh, habits, uh, I was fortunate enough that he was able to instill in me those very significant uh, work habits in regards to developing your skills and developing your fundamentals. Yeah, and there's a real technical component. And, and um, I mean, you certainly picked that up incredibly well. I mean, I, I played a lot of basketball as a kid and, and have watched you consistently. and and still would claim that technically you're as good a shooter as anyone in the world, which is hopefully take that as a compliment. But there's also the leadership component. Having your dad mm. that was an Olympian as a player and a coach, it, take me through that from a, a young boy. What were you learning from him that perhaps you didn't realise at the time, because yep. often you don't when you're a young kid, but how was that? You know, a, a legend of the game, a coach of the game, mm. you're his son. Did you listen, eh? And what did you learn? <laughs> Well, he never actually started coaching me in a team environment until I was uh, 15, just when I was starting senior basketball because yeah. I started very young. Uh, prior to that, I had a, a number of different uh, junior coaches and, and he was still coaching at the time. So I honestly can't remember him coming, him coming and watching me play right. from the time I first started when I was six or seven until I was 
14 or 15. Now, I'm sure there would have been, but yeah, I yeah, can't yeah. recall it. So he didn't see a lot of me in that team in uh, settings. But, of course, he was there when I was shooting hoops yep. and teaching me the footwork and the fundamentals. He was there through that. But as I reflect back on it, I think the biggest uh, asset uh, that he gave me was uh, not so much to do with the fundamentals of the game, more to do with the approach to the game, uh, about keeping the game in perspective, the, the sacrifices you need to make in order to, to um, get to the highest level, and understanding the relationships you have to build in a team sport to have individual success and be, part, and be able to contribute individually. Those types of themes were, were I think, the, the biggest uh, thing I got out of the, the teachings that he gave me in those formative years. And so I was going to say, so if your dad didn't start coaching you until you were 15, who, were the, mm. who was the influential coach in your junior years? Yeah. Well, he was there coaching, but just not in that team yeah. setting. So uh, in those team um, situations, it was my local under 12 uh, coach was Ron Anderson. So Ron Anderson is a guy that coached me under the 12s and 14s. And uh, he was very specific on how he wanted the game to be played. And, and I think for me, I was lucky to be at a very, very early age introduced to a system-based way yeah. in which mm. to play the game. Yep. These days, although it's a team sport, from a very early age, they have a, a real strong influence or, or concentration on the, fun, yeah. the fundamentals, which are vital, but also uh, how in which you create with the ball. When I was very young, there was a very equal proportion given to what you do with the ball as yeah. well as what you do without the mm, ball yeah. and, and how in which that incorporates into a team system. Uh, that is not as, in my judgment anyway, yeah, yeah, yeah. not as uh, specific and not as focused as it was when I was growing up. And and I th honestly think it's to the detriment, but um, there's no right or wrong way. There's great uh, outcomes that have been um, produced for a variety of different ways of yeah. teaching. But certainly from my perspective, I strongly have a strong recommendation to, to expose kids at a very early age to complex systems and, and they'll continue to develop individually. And were there any other um, kids coming through with you that went on to... Yeah. Yep. I came through a, a generation where the game was starting to explode and uh, we were, I think, getting a lot more teaching, a lot more opportunity as a young age, at a young age, as compared to those that become before me. And, and Ruzi was, was part of that. He was a, a year or two ahead of okay. me, but... He came through the... the, the um, he wouldn't have been in the top squad, so would he? He certainly was. <laughs> a, he played um, state representative for Victoria no, no, he keeps and came through at... Uh, and I think that that's another thing that through that period and, and, and certainly nowadays with a lot of sports from a, a young age, they keep that focus right on a specific sport. Yeah, yeah. I still strongly recommend through those formative yeah. years diversity yeah. in different sports. Yeah. And Ruzi uh, did a lot. I had, because the environment I grew up is, I got to experiment with all those different sports yeah. that I was surrounded by. Um, so I think that there is some merit in, in, in exploring all different options, even though you might still have a focus and you, your long-term goal is in with, a with a one particular sport. At the, through those formative years, you know, when you're from the time you're 
7 to 14, 15, I'm a very strong advocate for exploring uh, a variety of different sports. And I think it's a good point, Gazy, because if you look at some of the cross-sport players, um, Scotty Pendlebury had an AIS scholarship. Very good Went on to become player. a great footballer. Yep. Paddy Mills, most people won't know this, but Paddy Mills won the under-16 medal at the AFL Championships yep. in Canberra, I think it was, yes. and went on to play basketball. Ben Simmons is a, a, um, a comp best and fairest winner in under-12s, I think, for Beverly Hills Footy Club. Yes. So I 100% agree. It, it's the ability to do multiple sports, which probably doesn't exist much anymore. But I want to shift gears because mm. one country that typically doesn't do it is America. Yep. And you went over probably at the right age because you'd had that mix of, of yeah. good sports, um, different coaching, and then get into a system which is very much about education and just basketball. Mm. That's at Seton Hall. Take us through that time in, in your life. Yeah, well, uh, I actually went to Seton Hall because of my focus and goal of, of playing for Australia. Uh, my parents also instilled at me at a very, very young age the requirement to get an education. Yep. So getting an education and sport were hand in hand and the other stuff, well, that's if there's a little yep. bit of time left over, all mm. the very best to you. Um, so, but because of at a young age playing for the Australian team, going overseas quite a bit, I missed a lot of school uh, at the end of high school. So I started a physical education degree at Victoria University. Yeah. Back then it was called Footscray Institute of Technology. Technology. That's right. <laughs> so it's changed their name since. Uh, now it's a, it's a three year degree. It took me 11 years to finish. <laughs> now you only get 10 years to finish. Now, well, I went there and didn't finish. <laughs> that, well, well, hopefully that's not a reflection of my IQ, but just more uh, the circumstances yeah. that was around me and the time that I could uh, I, I, I could allocate to it. So I had this opportunity at Seton Hall and for me, equally proportional was a chance to go and play at a really, really yeah. high level of basketball, but also a chance in our off season here to get a few more credits so I could get through. And um, played at Seton Hall, big conference, big East conference and uh, small school, but a very famous coach in PJ Calissimo oh, went on to become yeah. a very famous mm. coach. And I was in, lucky to be in the right place at the right time that it was, I was older, at 23 years of age, and it was straight after my second Olympic Games at Seoul. And uh, went there and was part of a team that went through to the championship game, the NCAA tournament. There's over 300 Division I teams, 64 of them get invited to the, to the tournament at the end. We went through and outside to the championship game and lost in overtime by one, one point, point to the University of Michigan and dare I say it, in one of the most horrific officiating decisions <laughs> in the history of the sport. But we won't get into that now because I'll do me heading. And I think, to put it in perspective, I think from memory there's 37,000 or something there. Yeah. So 37,000 yeah. people at a basketball game, a college basketball game. So it's as big as, as, big as it gets. Tell us about studying and playing basketball though from a real yeah. leadership and culture and and pj calissimo who went on and coached in the nba tell us about his philosophies but throwing it all in together mm. how what was that like culture leadership dealing with all right. those sort of things as a 23 year old yeah well, well it's a little easier for me because i was a lot more mature yeah. and seen a lot of things and traveled internationally so you had this broader education beyond just your official education and uh, in the college system it is a requirement to
to meet certain expectations with your studies. If yeah. you don't meet those expectations, you are not allowed to play. So they devote a lot of resources with tuition, um, making sure that you get uh, extra help to, to get through. Now, fortunately, I was okay. I was yeah, managing yeah. my studies okay. But it's, a, um, it's, it's one of the things when you look at this very elite profession, it's a billion-dollar industry yeah. with student-athletes, and that's been one of the big uh, arguments that's been going on recently to say, well, you're exploiting these kids. Yeah. They generate a whole bunch of revenue. Yeah, they get an education, but you're earning billions mm. of dollars and none of it's going back to the kids. That's another issue. But it, it, it is, uh, and, I, and I mention it on the basis is to say that there are a lot of things that ha these really elite athletes need to consider uh, to whether or not they should go to college. And it's evolved to a point now where even here in Australia, uh, the last few years, we've had some of the top high school basketball players yeah, here. choose to mm. come to Australia because, uh, for a variety of different reasons, but one of them is because you're saying, well, I'm going to use my skills, uh, and yes, I will get an, uh, might get an education, but I'm not getting financially yeah. compensated for it. So those are, have been ongoing issues that date back to even when I was there, but more profound uh, more recently. But it, it's, a, it's an interesting, uh, when you talk about leadership, mm. the coaches role in that because they are paid and yeah. they are paid large, yeah. large amounts of money mm. uh, in order to run their programs. And back then, it was very dictatorial type yeah. approach uh, in, in the way in which they would coach and teach. I, I think it's evolved in the last 20 years, but back then when I was there in 1989, it was the norm. Yeah. Uh, it was the norm for, for coaches to, to want to have complete control because uh, there was so much at stake as far as their jobs. So in terms of developing your own personal leadership, when you go into a team like that, how do you impact the group? Like, do you just go and play or do you build yeah, relationships? It, or? It's, a, it's a fine line. And, and I took the attitude when I was going there. And like I said, it was easier for me yeah, because I was a lot older. Mm. But, but I took the attitude is I'm here to get an education, to help with my education. I'm here to learn. And I went in there um, very open-minded about what my role would be. And I think a lot of the kids that have come through high school, this is the sport is their ticket mm. to better things. Yeah, they're getting educated, but ultimately their desire is to become a professional athlete. Mm. So you've got a lot of different... Um, elements pulling at these kids and influences on these kids about well what really is important yep. and as I said the greatest advantage that I had I went in there to say well a lot of these players that have been there have been there this is their fourth year with a team because you get four years of eligibility and I was there to be helpful yep. to help them I wasn't on my own agenda and I, I think without that it would have been very difficult for me to be accepted by this very experienced team, relatively experienced team, um, and embraced as an international player. So uh, I, I think that just comes from a level of maturity that, I've, that I had at the time and an advantage of being a little bit older going into that situation. Did they, did they embrace you at the start? Or it's because it's an interesting concept, yeah, it isn't is. it? Because for those that don't know much about the college system, it, it is, it's, it's they live, eat, breathe basketball. Yeah. It's like their ticket out of it. So you're an Aussie guy that's come and obviously played in the Olympics. So I suspect a lot of them would know who you were. But how was that early dynamic? It was, you go through that feeling out process, but, but because the coaches are so influential, 
And they really set the agenda and the tone and, and for want of a better word, the culture of yeah, yeah. the group. It is, it's not something that the, the players necessarily have a direct influence on. Now, naturally, with your personality and the dynamics of a team, those things will filter through. But as far as the standards, the expectations, yeah. it was set coach by the coach. Yep. And, and because of that, it's easier for other players to come in because there is a, a well-entrenched, established understanding of, about how you treat your teammate, how regardless of yeah. where they come. Mm. Now, of course, we all know there's been in team sport, there's, there's that underlying personality issues that you've got to uh, address, mm. but it was uh, a lot easier to come in because of those conditions that were set by the coach. And also, I mean, I, I was, you know, went down to Fitzroy from Donvale and, and all the players I went with either were from my era or from similar areas. Now, you, you started in the NBL in an era yeah. of a lot of these college athletes didn't play in America. They came to Australia. So brought mm. that American mentality, American culture. So take us through that from a, a young kid from Albert Park. Yep. Who turns up at the Melbourne Tigers. And I think from memory, it's still two Americans back then. But they were very, very influential yeah. Americans, very big personalities, very talented. Yep. So from a culture point of view, how, how was that dynamic? What helped in making that transition, because I'd been around American players, my first couple of years of senior basketball, they didn't have limitations on, on, on imports. So again, when I look back at my own uh, personal opportunities, a lot of it was based on the, the very first... Uh, senior team that I played with, my teammates were Alan Westover, mm. Brian Gorgian, Bruce Palmer, yeah. and another guy called Hugh Hobus. All four uh, Americans that had played at the highest level of collegiate basketball, mm. and subsequently have gone two of them have gone on to be two of the greatest coaches mm. Australia has ever seen in Bruce Palmer and Brian Gorgian. Oh, three of them actually, and Alan Westover. Mm. So I had those influences on me at an early age. That helps. Yeah, it helps uh, develop your skills, but it also helps in those other peripheral things about keeping the game in perspective, understanding that the joy you need to, to get out of the game, uh, all those things. They were great teachers uh, for that, and were able to help me. And also, I think when you look at all the other teams and the sport in general, profound influence from the mm. Americans. Yep. But if you go back even before that, before those the, the influences, and you look at the history and the way the, the, the sport has evolved here in Australia, it was uh, the Lithuanians, yep. it was the Greeks, yep. it was the, the Italians. That immigration that was coming on during the 40s, 50s and 60s, and those people that had experienced basketball in their own countries and brought that to this country, they had a profound influence on the game and uh, and the culture of the game here in Australia. What's what stood out for you in what they brought that was potentially different to what you grew up with and what you were used to with what the were, Americans. With the Americans. Well, I think what it was it was a a different. There was a different method of practicing as well. Here yeah. in Australia, you, we were we were amateurs. Yeah, yeah, and. You understood that, okay, you might be training twice a week and you'll go out and you'll goof around by yourself. And, you know, there was that 
we're, this is not a profession. We're never yeah. going to make money out yeah, of this. Yeah, so yeah. we're concentrating on it. We, we're doing this purely for fun. But what it did back then, it really did um, separate those that were in it for the right reasons because you were never going to make a dime out of it. Yeah. But what the Americans that had come over to Australia, they'd come through programs for since high school mm. where they're training six days a week, a yeah. couple of hours a day. And uh, in order to get to their level, it quickly became apparent that if you don't put the time in, yeah, right. you're not going to be able to be able to compete with them. And it's one of the big arguments we're talking about uh, Americans and opportunities for Australians. And uh, one of the arguments is that, well, we needed restrictions because we were denying Australians yep. the opportunity to play. Now, my experience is, is the contrary to that, yep. is to say, I don't care where they come from. Yeah. I played with four imports. Mm. In order for me <laughs> to, to get a game and get court time, I had no choice but to get better. Yeah, yeah, if yeah. I didn't become as good as them, I was never going to get to play. So they, I think, lifted me to their standards. Whereas if those import restrictions had been in place when I was there, yeah. there would only be two of them. Mm. So I would have been elevated a lot quicker and wouldn't have been surrounded by that same level of talent. So. Yeah, I understand there's a balance in there somewhere, but I think that we get so caught up here in Australia on on putting in place restrictions yeah, yeah. rather than saying, just let it talent play. prevail. Mm. I don't care where they're from. Yeah. If they are good enough, get better. Mm. That's the answer. If you want to play, get, get better. better. And don't, don't play to the lowest common denominator. Yeah, yeah. Try and strive yourself and bring in mm. better talent and get better to reach those standards. And the Tigers went on to become a reasonable team. Tigers <laughs> have the, I um, would have, I think if you go back to the extended history. Now, unfortunately, a lot of these teams that we see in the NBL, they don't back, date back to 1931 mm. when the Tigers were first yeah. came into play. So if you date it back to them, it, it's unquestionably the most successful uh, club in the history of Australian basketball. But I understand since the, the NBL started back in 1979 and most people just, just their history starts from yeah. there because they, they see that as the elite competition. And that is significant. But if you take a broader view of it all, the Melbourne Tigers with their influences with two of the pioneers of the sport in Ken Watson and Lindsay Gaze, the founders of basketball yep. in this country, being involved in that club, they had uh, very influential characters to, to be able to uh, develop the sport. And it was also, I guess, the development of <clears throat> basketball in a halcyon time in Australia. Like I remember mm, it, it, it grew mm. like it was the big thing to do on the weekend, go to a basketball game. Yep. I remember going to watch you yeah. guys play. It was fantastic and it had a real buzz around it, didn't yeah. it? Well, it started to become professional. Like I said, when I was at, at high school and, and even the st when I was 18 or 19, I went to my first Olympics. The prospect <laughs> of me becoming a full-time yeah, professional, yeah. it still wasn't there, but it was a very rapid rise. So from the time of 84 in particular, so from about 84 to 90, the sport became highly professional. And by the late 80s, yeah. we had full-time Athletes, so it, it, it was very quick from uh, that rank amateur status mm. to where players would actually could generate an income from it. Yeah, you've got an incredible journey again from a culture and leadership point of view because we've already talked about your junior stuff. We've talked about Seton Hall. We talked about 
um, the Tigers. But then you go on, as you said, to play for Australia. Yeah. So suddenly you've got these 18 to 22-year-olds that are college players. You've got this influx of Americans coming to Australia. And now you've got the cream of Australian basketball yeah. all coming together. Yeah. Tell us about that dynamic. It is. And I think when I first started playing with the senior team was 1983. And the thing, even back then, even when you're talking about guys that were amateurs, even the Australian team were, were, were all amateurs, over the years, but the, the, what preceded that had established mm. a culture. Yep. Now, whether that was just the culture of Australia being then filtering down to the actual sport, but I think that there was more to it. I think there was actually a, a culture in that group Despite from year to year, there was changes in personnel, yeah. sometimes significant changes in per personnel. There still was this underlying culture about the expectations mm. of, of, of what it uh, requires to, to play for Australia, the behaviours of yep. what is expected of you yep. when you play for Australia. Uh, those things were, were still well and truly in place. And although we evolve and the sport evolves, I think, still think fundamentally many of those uh, things are still there with the Australian team. Yep. Yep. Despite so, completely different generation, yeah, yeah, yeah. completely different personnel, yeah. but they are still there because there is that legacy that continues That's on right. and carries through. So how old were you when you first were picked in the Australian squad? Uh, well, uh, when I, I first was in a, a squad, yeah, in the senior squad, sorry. When I was, I actually <laughs> went to a a um, uh, an Australian team camp yeah. when I was sixteen years wow. of age. So when you walk in there, you look around. Yeah. How was that? And who were the who were the people that sort of guided you and picked it, you up? Yeah, it, it was Phil Smythe. It was oh. Larry Senstock. It was um, Ray Borner was part of the team. It was Ian Davies, Wayne Carroll. Yeah. These types of guys have been there. And um, what did you learn off them? Well, it was almost you're learning those things that I'm sure that they, the experience that they had mm. and learnt from others. And that is uh, an expectation of your behaviour, yeah. uh, an understanding of the privilege of playing for Australia, okay, yeah. uh, uh, keeping the game in perspective and saying, yep, we, we're trying to compete and we take great pride in pulling on a green and gold jersey. But if we're not having fun, because we're amateurs, if you're not having fun, then it's highly unlikely you're going to be able to enjoy this experience as much as you should and be able to get the outcome. And that is a performance which you, you need to achieve uh, without it uh, if you're not having fun. So these are the things that I learned from these guys. Yeah. You quite often, when I first went in there, it was all about putting the ball in the hole. Yeah, yeah. It's all about sliding your feet on deep. It's all about learning the fundamentals. But pretty quickly through that education that you, you get from these guys, you understand that there's more to it than that. <laughs> it's this relationship I've yeah, got to yeah. build. Mm. It's a respect for yep. where you've come from yeah. that might be vastly different mm. from where I've come from. Yeah. It's gaining an understanding about what that is. And if you don't have that or that is ignored, then you very quickly, you'll either be ostracised or you're, you're not going to get the outcome that you're looking for. And did they give you a spray? Like, did, the, did they, if you weren't doing the right thing? Some of the greatest, and <laughs> com remember, combine this, I'm the coach's son as well. Yeah. <laughs> so I, it was, 
in all my time in basketball, the, the, the Australian boomers camps that I went to from uh, 1982 to uh, up to about 1987 were the most mm. brutal, mm. physically brutal camps <laughs> that I've ever been to. Uh, because these are guys that they're competing for a spot to pull on a green and gold jersey and get to the Olympics. It wasn't about the money. There was no money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was about that was That's the ticket. The yeah. And they were prepared to do whatever it takes in order to get there. So the, the level of commitment and fierce competitiveness <laughs> uh, was as high as I've ever seen and yeah. ever been a part yeah, of. You can still see it in his face. It was almost frightening. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it was almost, yeah. you're almost a bit scared <laughs> to go on the court because you've got a, a squad of 22 guys and the skill level was nowhere near what it is today. Mm. And uh, in order for us Australia to compete, we didn't have the, the great athletes or the big guys. We got it through being just fierce, yeah, yeah. determined, mangy, <laughs> uh, mangy. ruthless <laughs> competitors more than skill. Yeah. Uh, and they were the characteristics that we had to have because we didn't have the size that were actually encouraged and recruited because you're not going to compete with a seven foot. If we got a, we had Larry Senstock at six six was a starting <laughs> centre on one of our teams going up against seven one guys. Yeah. You got to find a way yeah. to compete. Yeah. With you journey which is sort of similar in years to mine through footy and listening to you talk it's it's such so yeah. similar the culture when did you notice that sort of slight shift from top down coach to players relationships when when did you notice that in for me it probably didn't happen until late even right at the yeah. very end of my career it sort of started to happen when when did it happen for you in basketball well i noticed it, there was always a gradual change but i was lucky playing for my dad my dad, I think, is more, his approach to the game was probably a little bit more in tune to what it is today oh, yep. than back then, yep. albeit in a different era. So there yeah, is yeah. those caveats around it, but, but very open, not dictatorial, didn't raise his voice all that yeah, much, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, more structurally building relationships. Yep. He yep. was probably more in tune yeah, to wow. that. But the most profound changes that I think that you're referring to actually came after my career. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and when we went into coaching yeah. mm. and understanding how and which you've got to uh, build those relationships beyond the skill. Yeah. The skill stuff and the training, that's the easy part. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That is the real easy part. But it's those other stuff yeah. that, that, in honesty, I had trouble with and that's why you know, you were very, you guys were really helpful for me in my coaching journey because I, I was, you know, put my hand up and say, well, we're all different. And I was probably more in tune to the old ways in mm. regards to open, happy to, to listen, but, you know, the experiences that these guys are having outside of basketball i was sort of well that's their business yeah well in many instances it's not yeah you've got to be that father figure as well as being that the, their coach and it's not that i didn't want to do that it's just that it was something that I, I probably wasn't as acutely aware of the requirements of it when i was coaching it's a great segue into the coaching Murph, yeah. isn't it because we were fortunate to work with gazy and 
probably the firstly, take us through the decision to coach because yeah. you were probably one of those guys that most people thought were pretty comfortable doing the media yeah. and you know, you'd had this fantastic career and you and I were on the um, yeah. High Performance Basketball Commission yeah. and you know, you're probably not necessarily seen as a coach. And that's not a bad thing. No. It was more just that's the way it was. So you've already expressed some of the difficulties, which yeah. we'll touch on, but what was the decision-making process in taking the position? Yeah, well, for me, it was one that when I finished playing, th there was a lot of opportunities to get involved in senior coaching straight away. Mm. But I thought the pathway to that and, and trying to discover whether is this something yeah. you really want to do anyway was starting off the grassroots. So starting off at junior basketball, coaching there, graduating into senior basketball and doing bits and pieces there. And, and I was absolutely happily content uh, doing that. And then you, you've got these competitive mm. desires and you've also got a belief in your own ability. We've all got egos, yeah, whether yeah. some of them express differently, yep. but we all, I strongly believe that, that I can uh, provide an opportunity for a team and for players that will enable them to uh, have fun, have success, yep, and help with their growth. Now, that's what I, I, I truly believe. Mm -hmm. If you probably ask some of my players, whether it's the Kings or the <laughs> no. Juniors, there's always going to be some that yeah, may yeah. not necessarily yeah, yeah. agree with that mm. because of different approaches yep. to the game and the game can be played in a, in a variety of different ways. But I stand firm within my own mind that, that these are the fundamentals that I can help provide that give those opportunities. Um, so it was just um, a, a thing where opportunity, the right time, and never really lost that desire. So I went ahead and, and, and went on to, to the senior coaching uh, ranks and great experience. Loved it, learnt so much. Uh, went in there understanding that there's some areas that clearly I was not proficient at that I needed help with. Um, and, and, and through that experience, come out the other end that feel way more, way, way more prepared <laughs> than when I went yeah. into it um, and feel that you learn from it and you, you're always better off. So, so what did you learn <clears throat> even about yourself in that process? Because we had a great year. Yeah. Like it was. Yeah, it was. Yep. With yeah. Gazy and Lennard and Luke and, yep. and uh, Bogut yep. and, and it, was a good, we, we, it was good fun and we won some games, we lost yep. some games, we won and ended up doing really well. What did you learn about probably yourself in that process? I reckon it's really interesting. Well, the, the, the biggest thing for me was um, how in which you get others to buy into your system. In, in basketball, there is a million ways. Mm. It's infinite, not a million. It's, there is yeah, an yeah, yeah. infinite ways in which you can devise a system and put together a program. And I'm talking about structurally, about offences, defences, the X's and O's. And... and, and Really no right or wrong way. Yeah. Yep. And a lot of it comes down to the coach's philosophy and either recruiting those that fit that philosophy or being able to get others yep. to, to oh, buy yeah. into your philosophy. Yep. And the, the biggest challenges, challenge was that, yep. um, is for, to get, give them an understanding of how things could, should be done. They will go into it and they've all come, and we had a real veteran group. Yeah, we did. They've had a vast array of experiences yeah. mm. and they would have an idea in their own heads about, 
well, this is how you're supposed to train. Yep. This is how I'm supposed to get better. <laughs> this is this is the offense that's going to suit the team and me better. In their own heads, they all have a, a coach's mentality about how everything should be done. And when you've got all these different um, very appropriate methods of doing things and getting them all to say, well, you know what, I'm gonna might have to think a little bit differently here. Um, how in which we teach skills. Does it always need to be done or, or should there be a priority on the individual stuff or can that individual stuff be done in a collective environment? How do you get someone that believes this is the only way I'm gonna get better to do it the way I think it should be yeah. better? Uh, and, and how you communicate those things are the things that present the biggest challenges and the things that, that uh, I learn about myself to think that, not that it was gonna be easy, but to think, well, surely they're gonna buy into that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Surely that's just <laughs> automatic. They're gonna, it ain't automatic. It's <laughs> there, not. Were, we, there was never never a shortage of opinions, was there, Gazi? No, and, and, <laughs> Which and, was we, great. and we encourage them. <laughs> We absolutely that encourage was them. It was really good. And that in, that in itself, I think, is big, is to say, how much do you encourage that? Yeah. How much yep. do you... What do you give and what do you take? Correct. Yeah. And that's that's a judgment you've got to yeah. figure yeah. out to say, well, well, how much do you need to say, no, 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 we've, we've had the discussion, that's yep. it. Or, no, 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 I don't even want to have that discussion because we're not going down that path. Yep. I'm going to be, this is the path we're going down. Yeah. So it's all those things, yeah. the balance that you, you guys <laughs> have seen it a lot, to say that it's one of those things that you, you figure out. And as I said, I'll be better prepared to make those judgments uh, now than what it was then. Um, but uh, you, you quite often only know in hindsight yeah. then having a, there's, I don't think there's a foolproof way to say that this is, this is do this, this and this, and it's guaranteed. And it's I think not. the thing that we try and get across, guys, is leadership's hard, it's not easy. Yeah. Like, I think there's this perception, I'm not saying you perceived it yourself, but there is this perception, I can do it. It's yeah. sort of like, yeah, no problems. And then once, you, it's not until you get there, then you realise all the complexities of it. Yeah. And what I would say working with you, which was fantastic, you were prepared to have the conversation. And that's what we would say, Murph, yeah. wouldn't yeah, it? Have the conversation. It is. That was the best thing I, in my time working with the Kings. Yeah. And your self-awareness to say, well, I probably don't know the answer. Yeah. Rusey, Murph, I'll yep. hand it over to you. We had some of the best sessions, Murph, I yeah, think, fantastic. through that process. <laughs> oh, oh, we did. And, and, and I'll tell you, one time you get in it and in the heat of the moment and, and the, in the battle of it all, um, and you're going through it. And we talk, I just spoke about those judgments you've got to make. Yep. And there are time when, there was one time Murph came to me and, and he had a view about what should happen. And I had a completely, yeah, yeah. given the current situation, <laughs> I had a completely yeah. different view. And I had to carry on like a two year old to say, you know, I say that yeah, 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 figuratively, yeah. not literally. Yeah, yeah. But I, I really had to, got to a point to say, I've listened, yep. I've done it, but yep. you know, yeah. this, this, is, this is how it has to be. Yep. Yep. Now, in, in hindsight, in, in the clear light of day when you, your emotions aren't there, there's absolute, there's a rational way yeah, yeah. That, that you say there was nothing yeah. wrong with a, a different view at all. Um, and sometimes you get it right and sometimes you don't. Yeah, but that's coaching, isn't yeah. it? At the end of the day, you, you have to make a decision based on the information you've got and where you're at at that moment. And, 
And that's, that's the, I guess, the difficult part of leadership is you've you got opinions coming from, particularly in that yeah, team, they were yeah. so experienced. Coming yeah, in an, from older, an older team. I mean, yeah, I, was, yeah. I was probably a bit fortunate starting off with a younger team that was, yep. was sort of ready to sit and listen. You can mould them a little bit. So you can bit. sort yeah. of, they, you, they come along on the journey with you. Yep. The team yeah. that you had were like, well, you tell us the journey. Well, no, I'm not sure I agree yeah. with that. So it was a fascinating, but I going to be good for the for the viewers. What Because a really good point, I think your self-awareness is great. Your ability to articulate, I, I'm better prepared now. What yep. are the two things maybe you do differently or what are the main takeaways that you would now go i'm i'm way more confident to do it now what were the what were the technicalities around that well strangely and it might it might seem like a a a contradiction but i would go in there with a more um uh not authoritarian but a more narrow Uh, idea of say, I don't care. This is how we're going to do it. Now, there is scope in that, of yep. course. There's always scope and you're always taking the feedback. And I think if you don't do that, yeah, that's, also, you know, you, you, you're going to struggle. But I think now that I'd narrow that. Um, that yep. And you're talking more from the strategic point of view, the game plan type Both. point of view? Both, yeah. Yep. Both. So this, I'm narrowing that yeah, to say, yeah, yeah. this is the way I, I want to play. Yep. And rather rather than being more flexible yep. um, yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And, and forgiving on certain things, to say, well, nah. I, 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 somehow or rather I've got to convince you that yeah. this is it. Yeah. Somehow or other. Yeah. And, and, and um, again, I keep emphasising you do need scope. I don't think you can just... But, but I, yeah. I think that would be consistent with what we yeah, would we see as well. Same, I don't 100%. think you because yeah. what I learned from Sydney, I couldn't have done the Melbourne job had I not done it. Yeah. So when I went into Sydney, I was really narrow in how I wanted right. to play. Right. So there was not not a lot of grey area. Yeah. And I think probably with Murph and I, Murph, you jump in too. Probably that was an area that we thought maybe you do need to get better, and that maybe you really need to tighten up because yeah. you had those personalities. And you were trying to go, well, I've got to look after him. I've got to look after 100%. him. Yep. So that's probably, just so we're clear on what, because I reckon it's a really good point. Yeah, that, that is exactly yeah. right. And, and and you're saying, well, don't try and be everything to everyone. everyone. All yes, things to everyone. Exactly. You, you, you've got to, and you know what? You're going to have to have some difficult conversations yep. in order to achieve that. Yes. Yeah. But it's it's difficult yep. to, to manage it. And, and, and I think... It's a, it's a bad, it's probably not a gra- great analogy, but in that last year where we had, where, where we finished 18 and 10, we had the equal top yep. win-loss record yep. of, of anyone. But through it all, because we were, I was, we were doing that thing, all the different things and trying to juggle different personalities and, and, and not narrowing yeah, yeah, yeah. the focus, there was an element of halfway through it was, we got to land the plane. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It wasn't about winning the championship. Yeah. We just got to yeah, land yeah, yeah, this yeah. plane. We've got <laughs> a lot of turbulence now, but just land well, it and put it on analogy. the tarmac. <laughs> put it on the tarmac and land this plane yeah. where we safely. try safely without as the minimal amount yeah, of damage yeah, yeah. we could possibly do. But but in the end, it was a, like everyone came together. Yeah. Well, it did, and it didn't. It, it, I think, in hindsight, the way we did it, I thought. We managed a mm. what could have been a very very explosive situation. Yeah, very well. I thought we managed it well. Now that might have been through good luck rather than good planning, whatever it was, but 
but I thought we did. I think. Uh, I, no, I think if you yeah. asked a lot of the players, they would not agree. You would No, I think you're underselling yourself there. I think. I think it, it wasn't good luck. It wasn't good luck. Well, we, to, to be well, to put a, a, a full stop on that, we spoke to a coach from another club that mm. couldn't believe you achieved what you achieved. Yeah, with those personalities. So <laughs> that, and I'm not going to give away any. But yeah, we, yeah, we spoke yeah. to another coach and said, I'm, I'm staggered that they got to where they got to. Yeah, well, well, I think first and foremost, we were lucky we had incredible talent. Yeah, We had yeah, really, definitely. really good talent. Yeah. And, um, you know, how in which we were juggling, you guys played a part in that, And uh, but it's, 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 it's not how you should have a, when you've got all that talent, because of some of the shortcomings in our decision-making, like I said, that you learn from, that... We were in a situation about landing the plane, not thinking about the joy yeah. this is, yeah. and not thinking about um, uh, winning a you know winning a championship was always the goal. But because we're dealing with the minutiae of all these other issues, mm. it, it takes your focus away from it. But I think to that guy, because again, to the, for the viewers, I think it's a really good point. You have to address it. Yeah, you can't just let it slide, no. because if you let it slide. The plane crashes. Correct. The plane just <laughs> crashes. <laughs> you know. Like I said, it's maybe not a great... <laughs> no, no, but, you, but yeah. you're right. Yeah. It's, it's a really yeah. good point because I don't want people to think out there that, oh, maybe I've just got to let it go. And a lot of corporations <laughs> do. They just yeah. let it go. They just sweep it on the carpet oh, yeah. and yeah. hope it goes away. No, it doesn't, it doesn't go, go away. away. Yeah. And yeah. it turns into a mess in some way, shape or form. Yeah. So the fact that you addressed it... And I think the other thing too is, let's be clear, in a basketball team, there's five players on the court. Yep. So with the personality, strong personalities, it's a high percentage of the team that you've got to deal with. So yeah. Murph and I would both say the way you handled the situation was was really, really good. Well, we like, didn't sweep it under the yeah. carpet. Mm. We dealt with it head on. And I think the right thing, you're right, the players yeah. did come together did, and, yeah. and had a we, successful We got season. through some very heavy turbulence. <laughs> well, well there, there was, but, <laughs> but, but yeah, good. it's... um. You learn from that yeah. and yep. you, you understand also beyond that, you also, beyond with that, and you say, well, how do you uh, uh, avoid that again? Yes, yes. Um, or how do you, not maybe avoid it, but you don't want to avoid it, but how do you manage, manage it better? It, yeah. I think a lot of it also happens, what happens beforehand too. Yeah, yeah. In yeah. understanding a, a more deep uh, investigation into the personalities Yeah. to make sure because... Each and every one of them, great, great guys. Yeah, that's just a team, isn't but it? But sometimes, yeah. you know, you yeah. just get yeah. those clashes and yeah. you say, well, well, maybe but we could have managed that a little bit better. There's, there's lots of research now, Gazy, where um, <clears throat> bringing, bringing talented kids through and moulding them, like, like you said when you came into the Australian yeah. basketball team, is a better way of doing it yeah. than bringing in experienced, talented guys from all yeah. over the place. Yeah. They've already... They've already got their own habits. They've yeah, already yeah. got their own cultures, their exactly. own belief systems. Yeah. Putting them, trying to push them in together can be quite difficult. Yeah. Well, you look at well. the AFL with, I mean, Hawthorne Clark, they did it with a young yeah. team. Bomber Thompson, yeah, yeah. young team. Yeah. And I took over at Sydney. Yeah. It yeah. was sort of a, a, a youngish but time. Even from a corporate perspective, really, yeah. like, yeah. you know, the Jim Collins stuff, yes. um, where we're developing leaders through yep. and into the culture that yep. you want as opposed to yeah, 100%. just bringing in the, 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 the hero leader or, yeah, yeah, yeah. and it dropping is. them in. It's a great point. Yeah. Maybe we're remiss of us not to finish on the NBA because of two, mm. two points because of the last dance. Yep. But in fact, you've won a championship with the Spurs, which are not arguably, I'm reading this um, book at the moment called The Captain's uh, Choice, I think it's called. Right. 
And they, he did an enormous amount of research, incredible research on mm. the best teams in the world. Yep. And the Spurs were one of them. Yeah. Tell us about the Spurs culture. And I might ask two questions you want. Tell us about the Spurs culture, the NBA, and then your thoughts on the last dance. Yeah, the Spurs culture. I was there during those formative years of Greg Popovich. Yep. And I was lucky enough to, to be with that group that star started. David yeah. Robinson, Tim Duncan, Steve Kerr, Sean Elliott, Mario Early. I mean, the list goes on. That, that, that was a, a really uh, talented, talented team. Uh, but, but Greg Popovich, he wasn't the Greg Popovich now. He hadn't won a championship nah. uh, back then. But the thing that getting that first-hand experience uh, uh, with, with Greg Popovich, who has been the driver of that, uh, of that culture, is that there is a, um, a fundamental... Uh, element of the players that re recruit is that you, you can't take yourself too, too seriously. Yep. You've got to be able to, to laugh at yourself mm. and you've got to be able to keep the game in perspective. Yep. And if you don't fit it, yeah, you want talent, but if you don't have those characteristics, it's probably you're not probably going to fit the Spurs program. Now, one you can pausing on that, guy because yep. I reckon it's really important to, to Jared's point before about talent versus behaviours. Pop was almost the the pioneer of the behaviours before talent. Not to say the players weren't talent like Manu yeah, and, yeah. and um, Tony Parker, Tony Parker yep. et cetera, et cetera. But it was very much around character, wasn't it? Character, absolutely. Uh, in, many, in many essence, you could even say that character trumps talent. Yes. Yep. Uh, you need talent, but uh, he, Pop was always this sort of guy to say, well, if you've got those other characteristics, there's enough talent out there yep. that that you're going to be able to build a collective that will be more successful than the individual. Now, what he was able to do is have the absolute talent. uber elite mm -hmm. talent yeah. that bought in yeah, to that, those team concepts yeah. about sharing, uh, about providing a, an environment where you care for each other. Um, he, Pop, gets to know everything about his players. Mm, yeah. You know, he, yeah. their background, um, very sympathetic to, to some of the challenges that the individuals might have faced. And make no mistake about it, he is a competitive beast. Mm. And he doesn't tolerate a fool and is very <laughs> overt. But what he is, he's egalitarian mm. in his way in which he coaches. Yep. He will coach and coach Tim Duncan and David Robinson the same way he would coach mm. yep. the, the 15th guy on the roster in regards to the expectations and the culture. So, uh, and I think that um, helps with that middle tier to say, well, you know, he's asking me to do some things, mm. but he's not compromising yep. and asking those or, or, or turning a blind eye to what he expects of consistency. The big guy, you know, the, the, the more talented influential players and he was able to do it in where the game was being predicated on individual talent mm. iso ball yep. this he was able to value passing value ball movement and value sharing as much as he did that individual talent yeah yeah which is which is i think why they endured for so long wasn't because it, it almost sounds silly as it sounds that team concept became yep. unique it's even more unique now, isn't it? Well, everyone's it? trying to emulate it, yeah. and um, some more so than others. Uh, but, it, but it is difficult because the nature of the game, the, the business of the sport these days, 
what it means to the individuals, it, it is a, a huge, huge challenge that, that they're faced because there's so much money yep. involved. And also, uh, fundamentally, I don't think everybody understands it so clearly. Yeah. So we can try and copy coaches, in this case, Pop, yep. but, but not everyone will be able to replicate how we recruited, how we coached, how we developed, how we treat service. Well, you know, it's funny you should mention that because my dad used to talk about, and you go to these leadership uh, seminars, and he talks about a, a common phrase which is used is world's best practice. Yeah. Let's look at world's best practice and emulate it. And he used to say, when he used to talk to us, he said, well, that's good, and you should. You absolutely got to look at it. But if you try and replicate yeah, yeah, yeah. what's exactly yeah. what someone else has done, you've got a chance to get close, but you're never no. ever going to get mm. to be identical yeah. to that. Yeah. You have to create, take all that and create your own 100%. world's best practice. Yeah. Yeah, so exactly. don't just look at someone else and say, that is the way it can be done. Because if you don't know, and it gets to your point, the intricacies and the nuances to, to what created that, uh, and you just look at some of the fundamentals that they do and say, well, we replicate that, that's world's best practice. Well, not always. And, and you're not probably going to get to that same level if, if you're all we're doing is trying to do that. You've it's got to- It's also the lack of belief in it too. Yeah. You don't really believe in it. Yeah. It's yeah. the passion that drives you know, great teams. If you don't really believe in it, if someone tells you you've got to do it because it seems like it's working for them, it's very hard over the course of, I mean, 82 games yeah. in the NBA, 22 games in the AFL, yeah. NBL, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, you're really well placed to talk about the last dance, and it's if you yeah. haven't seen it, I always say you've yeah, got to watch it. it. Not yep. just from a sporting point of view, but from a leadership point of view, with your background, which we've touched on in college sport and the NBA and NBL and coaching, yep. and your association with Luke Longley as well, who was with the with the Chicago Bulls. What was your take on it? What were some of the key takeaways that you you took out of it? Well, the the, the first one is it reinforced my. Uh, belief that Michael Jordan is the greatest basketball yeah. player ever. So that, that's that's the, the, the first yeah. one. Uh, the second one is, and I looked at it through a different lens now than what I would have when yeah. I was playing, uh, because you understand the challenges that Phil Jackson mm. were, was facing as well. And, and I think that Phil Jackson and that group uh, did an extraordinary job yeah. of taking these different personalities and some of them extreme in the case yeah, of Dennis Rodman. Rodman. Yeah, yeah. And being able to find a way to get the outcomes that you're looking to get. Yeah. And a lot of them would look at and say these days and say, we've well, got Dennis Rodman who's missing practice sessions, mm. wanting yeah. vacations in the middle of season, yeah. going away the night after a championship series loss, goes and... Um, WrestleMania. <laughs> WrestleMania in front of 20,000 people. It was great. And you say, well, mm. uh, a lot of yeah. coaches in a lot of teams would say, well, this is inappropriate, this yep. is no good. Well, you're ignoring the fact that he's averaging 20 boards a game mm. and he's helping us. And, and how you manage that in a team environment is difficult. Yeah. And it almost flies in the face of what we were talking about with Greg Popovich about treating everyone yep. equal. Well, you do treat them equal, but there are some... I guess that you, you've got to understand the personality type yep. and say, if we don't agree to this, he's no good to us. Yep. And we're not well, going to get the outcome yeah, we're exactly. looking for. He's no matter what we do. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. And just on that point, like, it, it takes so much energy to behave differently than you want to behave. So mm -hmm. watching that, I, I was thinking 
imagine the energy that Rodman mm. was expending to, just to try to to, trying to conform. Yeah. And, yeah. and that's where I, I reckon um, Phil Jackson was amazing. Yep. He yep. realised that. And he said, this guy is going to explode. He's going to do something stupid if we don't let him go for Correct. two days, which turned into five days yeah. or whatever it was. But... Uh, but they also had the conversation. I think that's, yeah, that they, was, that's, yeah, that's that the was, key point. Yeah, it yep. was great. Now, now he, he, they were lucky because they'd seen those personality traits in other teams. Yep. Yeah. But they've also saw his skill. Yeah. And they, before they even recruit him, they talk to Michael, they talk to Scotty, they yep. talk to the coach. They, yep. they, they go, listen, if you're not prepared to make some compromises here, we don't recruit him. Yeah. But if we don't recruit him, yep. we don't have a very important piece to our mm. overall team skill sets that yep. we're going to need. Yep. But I think it extends beyond that. I think it also extended to in, in this documentary and because, you know, I'm, I, I've known Luke Longley for yep. a, a long period of time, you also see the approach that Michael Jordan had and the expectations he had on his teammates. And who, who really knows, but I'm not so sure that that type of personality uh, and that leadership style would be acceptable in Today, this, no, yeah. no matter how mm. skilled you mm. are. Now, yeah. I could be wrong because he is... But the, I also think it's the combination. I reckon, and speaking to a lot of people that have said about Michael, whether it's good leadership or not good leadership, which we can all debate, but the combination of Phil Jackson and, and Michael Jordan. Correct. That's what worked. Absolutely. And, and Pippen. And, 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 and the rest of the Of course, yeah. the others. Yeah. Yeah. Of yeah. course, the others. But... but um, I thought one of the pivotal moments on that is that there was almost like this, uh, he, he's been grappling with himself in regards to this fierce, ruthless determination and the language that he used with his teammates mm. to get the best out of them. Mm. Uh, clearly the outcome of winning six titles, mm. he'd look back on that and say, well, that was appropriate. But I think that there was a, a, a period, episode seven. Episode or, seven, the last five minutes. Where, where yeah. he, he spoke about understanding to say, well, he, he's gained the respect of the world and, I, and I'm sure his teammates for the way in which he conducted himself. But did he gain the love? No. Did yeah. he gain mm. the friendship? Yep. Did he? Yeah. And, and, and he shed a tear yeah. when yeah. he was reflecting on that. And in his own mind, because of his competitive nature, I'm sure he still would look back and say, yeah, I'd do it all again, and probably rightfully so. But there was this this epiphany moment where he, there is this understanding that it come at a price. Price, There was a price price you had to pay Mm. in order for that to happen. But he clearly walked the, he he, he walked the walk as well as talked the talk. He didn't, he didn't put expectations on others, which, he didn't yep. impose on himself. D- just before we leave the last dance, a couple of things. Um, I don't know what Phil Jackson did when he moved on to the Lakers, but he won. He, he won, won a number yeah, of titles. Another five. Mm. Yeah, it'd be fascinating to see if he coached the same way. I, I don't know if he yeah, did or he didn't. Similar problem. Well, he had a bit more problems at the Lakers with um, Kobe and Shaq, didn't he? Well, he did. And um, I, structurally, he ran his triangle offense, mm. he ran his system very the, much the same. And you can do that because take out uh, Michael Jordan, put in a Kobe. very, very close clone in, mm. in Kobe, yeah, you, can, yeah. you can do that. And you build the team around the system that he wants to, to implement. So it, 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 it did. It, but it that, that wasn't the question. The question was actually yeah. going to be the role of administrators and the team 
So in The Last Dance, um, Jerry Jerry Krause. So you sort of love him and hate him at the same time. You admire him, but you wonder why... Why did he not let them go for one more year? What, what, well, the what? narrative in the narrative in the documentary was Jerry Krause had an ego and he felt like he wasn't yeah. getting the reward for putting this team together. Yeah. Scotty Pippen, who was his greatest um, critic throughout a lot of it because he signed a deal that was clearly mm-hmm. unders, and you saw Scotty almost belittling Jerry Krause yeah, yeah. during that period. But at the end of it, in the very last documentary, Scotty openly concedes that one of the greatest general managers to be able to find a way to get these, this team together, one of the greatest general managers in the history of the mm. sport. But when you're going through it and you're feeling like you're underpaid and you're not being respected enough, he probably had a different, uh, a different view. But why Jerry Krause and the owner, Jerry Reinsdorf, didn't continue on... Again, the narrative of the, 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 the documentary, I don't think necessarily accurately reflects yeah. what was happening. Okay. Phil Jackson was never coming back, you know, regard, by the sound of things. Mm. Yeah. Um, Pippen probably Scotty wasn't Pippen, either. Yeah. I, I mean, he was never, ever mm. uh, coming back. And they presented as if to say, well, here was Jerry Krause with this ego that he wanted to almost rebuild to say, well, well one of his famous quotes, well, Players don't win championships. Yeah, yeah, yeah. General managers <laughs> win championships. Now we all know that's not true, but I think that 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 he, there is some fact to that to say unless you get a general manager yeah. that can get all the pieces together, you're not going to win. And that, that's probably more. It, yeah. How how important is good administration in terms of developing the culture of the team? Oh, I think it's vital unless they're hand in hand. Now it might not look like in that circumstance because towards the latter stages of it, there was a very difficult relationship with their general manager. But, um, but from the top down, and you talk about the things that you guys have touched on, on, on culture, unless the entire organisation is buying into yeah. that, it, you, you might get lucky where yeah, yeah, yeah. You, know, you might have a year. But if you're talking about sustained success, yeah. uh, I don't think you can do that unless that everyone is unified with the objectives and the culture. Yeah. That's just my 100%. judgment. No, yeah, I think it's 100%. I mean, and for those that haven't seen it, the last dance is amazing. But it's probably a good point to finish on because I think when they're all together, but then when the ego creeps in, isn't it? Yep. We talked yeah. to Barmy about yeah. that. Barmy was very much about as soon as the ego creeps in about, well, hang on, I, I want more credit than Murph and I'll yep. a bit more than Gazy. And that seems to be what happened because there were so many good messages I like the point, Gaze, and we talk about it all the time. Michael Jordan said, I didn't ask anyone to do yeah. anything I didn't do myself. That's what we consider role model leaders. But then the ego seemed to start to creep in, and then the whole thing fell apart. But, mate, incredible conversation, incredible journey. I've, just got, I've got one more. It's, your father was enormously influenced, yes. still is, on your life. As a, as a coach and a father, I'm sure. Did the lines ever get blurred? between being a dad and a coach because you spent so mm. much time? Uh, in my judgment, they didn't. Yeah. Uh, I think that what it was, I was, we were very fortunate as I reflect back on it, that the personality type matched the coaching style that made it possible. I think, I've seen many father-son, yeah. or I shouldn't say father-son, parent-athlete uh, yeah. uh, relationships that just clearly don't mm. work. Uh, but I think because of his coaching style, uh, very open with his approach. 
not the dictatorial ranter and raver, uh, that made it easy. easy. Um, without that, the evidence that I have and from what my own observations, that would be very difficult. Yeah. And I think on that, I mean, you, you listen to your dad and, and having spent a lot of time with you. I mean, the role model, we talk about role models. Yeah. I mean, Lindsay Gaze and Australian basketball and mm. the way you describe him, he's obviously a pioneer in coaches because mm. it's very unusual for coaches back then yeah. to have a, an, an open book policy and build relationships. It was much more around top Correct. down. So the fact that you had that background as a father was just incredible, mate. Unbelievable yeah, culture fantastic, couch, mate. fantastic gazy. Thanks, Murph. Yeah. And we'll be back again next time. Mm-hmm.